Well, good morning and welcome to London. I'm Michael Mainelli. I'm one of the directors of Zien, and I'm here welcoming Duncan Cockburn from OneBanks. Now, Duncan and I met at a very interesting dinner at Mansion House, where the First Minister of Scotland was speaking, and I was very, very intrigued with his ideas, and I thought it'd be really good to have a London-Scotland webinar, but he has flummoxed me <laughs> by flying out to Alicante. So this is a London-Spanish webinar, at least temporarily. Duncan's here to talk with us today about digital banking for analog customers. And you've got to say, having had 40 plus years of the digitalization or digitization or even digital uh, of banking and finance, what the heck have analog customers got to do in the modern day and age? And you may find this a bit surprising. As you know, I am Michael Minelli, but I can only do this lecture thanks to the support of all of our various sponsors who allow us to range widely and freely across technology, economics, and finance. And in a world where we are trying to solve 17 sustainable development goals, one of which is very much SDG 10, ensuring that there's all sorts of inclusion in finance, I think it's interesting to recognize the scale of the analog problem, if you want to call it that, or in Duncan's case, the scale of the analog opportunity, which I think is really going to be quite telling. As ever, uh, today's program is fairly straightforward. I'm here to get out of the way as quickly as possible so you can hear from our expert. Uh, Duncan's going to speak for about 20 minutes and there's a substantial amount of time left for Q&A. So to answer three obvious points, yes, this is being recorded and the recording will go up in approximately two working days, so probably Friday afternoon, to share with friends and family and colleagues. Uh, secondly, the slides are available, uh, in fact, are available already. Uh, but we'll be, we'll be up there as well for those who want to look at them in detail. And finally, how do you participate in the Q&A? Well, the important thing about these webinars is the ability to chat to our guests. Um, simply type your message into the chat room. All of the messages that you type in will be sent to Duncan. Uh, so if you want to thank him or compliment him or you want a point of detail, just type it in there. He will get all of the, those with your email attached. Uh, which makes it easy for him to get into correspondence with you if you so wish. Anyway, those are the those are the sort of the housekeeping rules. But just to set the scene briefly, when the pandemic hit, we were told that something like nearly six million UK adults had done their first online banking uh, experience. That was an amazing number. In fact, it said uh, how low the penetration rate really was and how poor perhaps the marketing of our various banks has been over decades of trying to move people into online banking. But um, I, in preparation for this, uh, Duncan's got a few questions of his own. I was just curious, you know, what percentage of UK consumers have not visited a bank branch since March, 2020? Uh, so please have a go here. You're, you, uh, I think you'll find this a very interesting one. Great. Well, over half the audience have voted, Duncan. You'll find that our audience is really quite opinionated uh, <laughs> or, or, or sure of themselves or both. Uh, but we're going to close that and have a quick look at the results. And uh, people believe that 80% have not uh, visited bank branch just the most. Actually, believe it or not, the answer is much lower. I was surprised it was still 20%. Yes, 20% of UK consumers haven't visited a bank branch in over two years. Um, but we'll, we'll move on to that. Even that uh, says to you that there's still a large amount of opportunity in this space. So Duncan, the floor is very much yours. Thank you, Michael. I'm just gonna share my screen very quickly. 
Apologies. There we go. So as Michael said, I'm here to talk about digital banking for analog customers. And actually I'm quite pleased by the response um, that everybody gave there because it is incredible. It shows how many people still use branches. 80% of people still have been to a branch since the start of the pandemic through a time where face-to-face -face uh, interaction has been completely limited. It shows there's still a real drive for that in-person banking experience. So I'm gonna start with a quick poll. And it's going to go against a wee bit what Michael said and actually think about, okay, so before the pandemic, one of the biggest banks we spoke to, the head of retail banking, and they told us that 30% of their customers had yet to sign up to online banking. After the pandemic, what do you think the number is now? Do you think it's between 0 and 10%, 10 and 20%, 20 to 25 or more than 25%? I was certainly really surprised by this one. Before the pandemic, it was 30%. What percentage do you think it is now post-pandemic? Right, so the majority think it's 25% plus. So the majority of you are right. <laughs> it's in fact still close to 30%. So the, the conversion rate for this specific bank has been very minimal. Um, even throughout a pandemic where face-to-face uh, -face transactions are limited uh, and people have been almost forced to move online. A lot of people simply are not moving digital and it is a huge problem in society. Uh, a lot of people still like and value in-person banking transactions. Um, can I just double check? You can see my screen again. Yes, we can. Yes, and actually, folks, I think what uh, Duncan and I are showing you is that it is a complex situation out there with a, a very hard nugget of analog customers. Yeah, and this bank in particular is having a really tough time to move that percentage of people over to online banking. So there needs to be a better way. Otherwise, the risk of digital exclusion is just getting bigger and bigger. So to give you context to one banks, I started one banks around two and a half years ago. And funnily enough, it was actually all about sort of physical and analog, sort of digital in effect, whereby I learned how to code. And I was fascinated by open banking and what that can enable customers can, to do in terms of it enables all banks to be in a single interface. It enables customers to choose who, who, who they share the data with. And it ultimately is there to increase competition, innovation, and to drive better outcomes for customers. However, one of the biggest sticking points in my head was that you needed online banking to use open banking. And that means that all of these people that we've just mentioned, these 30% of people are potentially, if you think about the whole of the UK, there's still 11.9 million people, which is 22% of the population who lack the digital skills needed for everyday, every, everyday life. So when you think about online banking, uh, open banking, and how people are thinking about it helping the poverty premium, actually it's leaving a lot of people behind. But yet at the same time, it's got so much potential because it does enable a single interface to aggregate all of the banks and do transactions on behalf of the banks and in effect create a decentralized, drive a decentralized financial economy. Um, so you've got that, that's the technical side. And then you've got the physical side. I'm from Scotland, as Michael said, and in the highlands of Scotland where my family are from, banks are closing all over the place. And you can see quite clearly, and I'm sure a lot of you in the audience can relate to somebody who still wants that in-person banking experience, and when branches close, it leaves a lot of people behind, whether it's elderly people who want face-to-face -face transactions, whether it's businesses who need to deposit cash. Branches closing are having a devastating impact on communities. So that's why I think, and 
that's why well, that's what came to one banks in effect is trying to drive uh, a solution to create a sustainable solution for the high street and if i just bring this together a wee bit so branches closing is a problem for the banks ultimately the profits um banks are under profitability headwinds um banks branches close on a, a cost on average around five hundred ninety thousand pounds a year so you understand that the 6,000 bank branches that are still in the UK, many of which are not economically viable because of that cost and ultimately the, the declining number of use, um, people using it. However, at the same time, the government and the regulators are clamping down branch closures, which means that the banks are almost stuck between a bit of a rock and a hard place whereby they need to be moving to digital. However, they're being, they, they still need to service all of their customers and so many of their customers still need that in-person banking experience. So there's a real challenge there for the banks. And obviously, as I just explained there, and one of the reasons why I started One Banks in the first place is because of the problem for society. Millions of people, as I said, 11.9 million people are left, uh, do not have the skills um, for digital banking and are being left behind. A lot of people still use that branch as a way to connect with digital and connect with banking and without it, they are at risk of being left behind. As I said, people are deprived of the essential financial services due to branch closures, whether that is in-person banking or whether that's simply access to cash. And it's resulting in customers, as a small businesses as well, having to travel further to do their everyday, everyday banking transactions. And especially in the back of COVID, I think it's really important that we try and minimise travel time, we try and get businesses back so they're not having to disrupt their everyday, um, everyday life and potentially miss out on revenue. And if you think about other industries, the sharing economy is driving traction all across the industry. So you think about Uber, WeWork, even Selfridges, for example, all of these industries are driving the sharing economy. And why doesn't that happen in the banking industry as well? I think it makes a huge amount of sense. And that's ultimately what one bank's using open banking is trying to drive, uh, whereby all banks could be present in one single location. And it's a solution to help solve the problem for the banks but also solve um, the problem for society. So that, as I said, is what One Banks is all about. It's a bank agnostic solution that helps all customers. If it's an individual, an SME, um, you can come and interact at a One Bank site, in person, with a person, and integrate with all of your underlying banks. So we're not a bank, we're a technology platform. And our mission is to try and help uh, enable the financial institutions, like the banks, to maintain or broaden a cost-efficient physical presence, connecting the digital world with the physical one and ensure that nobody's left behind. And I'll bring this to life just a little bit. So these are the three kiosks that we've got open at the moment in cooperative stores in, in Scotland. The first one's in Denny, which was our first kiosk, and subsequently in Fife and Lockett and Kilwinning on the right-hand side. And all of these kiosks have been built with, with the reasons why people go to the branch in the first place. You've got a seating area, You've got an over-the-counter transaction and you've got a self-service solution and it's all been built as a journey so ultimately irrespective of your digital skills how competent you are you can come to a one bank's kiosk you can get help get onto onto online banking and it moves all the way through to you're competent you can do it yourself and you just do it on a self-service basis but we're trying to provide that support for people all across and um, all across the journey and to give you an example, we had a 94-year-old man, for example, sign up to online banking for the first time at a one bank kiosk simply because he wanted to use cash, simply because he didn't trust um, online banking and he needed that support to do it in person. 
And that in-person support, I think, makes such a big difference. As I said, we are a technology company, uh, so we can range, our solutions um, are completely dependent to what the community needs. So if a community needs a self-service solution, so it's not it's not a bigger community, for example, um, it will be a self-service solution and that can range all the way through to a full bunch um, and anything in between, if it's an SME-focused solution or, as I said, these kiosks, which are currently situated within supermarkets. I think it's really important to to, to do this in the heart of the community. So these co-op co-ops, for example, are right in the heart of the community where people already go, and it, it helps and it helps enable customers to do transactions, however, wherever and whenever they want in locations. As I said, they already go to. So the transactions that people currently do at a one bank's kiosk um, and the core is everyday banking transactions. That's what we're trying to focus on right now. So currently, it's uh, access to cash is a huge problem in the UK. And that's why a lot of our focus right now has been on trying to drive solutions within access to cash. That's to cash deposits, cash withdrawals, bill payments. And I'll come on to how we're doing it differently and innovatively in, in a little bit. So the core of one banks and how I like to describe one banks is trying to solve the physical problem with a digital um, digital solution. And it comes to the, the, the title of this presentation, which is digital banking for annual customers to two concepts, two sets of things which are worlds apart. But actually, as we move forward, I believe that they need to go hand in hand in order to create sustainable solutions for both access to cash and the digital divide. If you focus on just the access to cash problem um, with incumbent solutions that are already there, the digital divide is just going to get worse. And as I said, that 11.9 million people are going to be left behind. If you focus just on the digital divide, uh, digital solutions like open banking, you're at risk of leaving so many people behind when it comes to access to cash. And that's why having them both together and recognising that both are part of the same problem um, is really important. And as Michael said earlier, we, we see this as an opportunity. There's, there's, there's still five, six million people who are completely dependent on access to cash and needing cash for their everyday life. And that is also the biggest problem for the banks when it comes to the digital divide. So using that section of the population as almost as a conduit to help people move digital, using cash as a conduit to help people move people digital, I think is a really powerful way to try and solve both of these problems. So I'm going to go into a wee bit more detail as to what actually one banks are doing to innovate in this space to support annual customers. As I said at the beginning, open banking was introduced in the first place to try and provide customers with more control over who they share the data with, to allow third parties to be the face of the customer while still interacting with the underlying bank, whether it's to share data, whether it's to initiate payments. And it is driving that concept of decentralized finance, whereby customers are interacting with lots of different fintechs, for example, to drive better outcomes. And that's happening in so many different areas of fintechs, whether it's payments, whether it's insurance, intermediation, all of that, it's not happening enough within the cash space. And that's what we're trying to push, is this concept of decentralized finance, whereby one bank can be the face of the customer whilst enabling all of the banks to be present within that one location. And enabling customers, as I say here, to transact however, wherever, and whenever they want. So I split this up into three main components. The first one's identity. Now just have a think, how do you withdraw cash at the moment? How do you access cash? You access cash with your card. In the UK, there's no digital identity. 
in some other countries like the Nordics or Estonia, there are there's a digital identity and that can create a huge amount of innovation. But we don't have that in the UK. Uh, which withdraw money, independent ATM deployers need to access the bank's identity to authenticate customers. And the only way they can do that is through chip and pin. Again, if you just take a step back and think about other countries, for example, in Europe, in Latin America, people can withdraw money using biometrics, using QR codes, a wide range of different ways of authenticating customers, because there's a huge amount of innovation happening in that authentication space. But the fact that independent ATM deployers are not able to access the core identity that's owned by the bank is really limiting. So what open banking has enabled one banks to do is onboard customers. So on customers onboard to the one bank's profile that allows us to manage the identity. And that allows us to allow people to withdraw money, deposit money using a QR code, using biometrics, for example, or manually signing in. And while that might not sound quite that exciting, it, to me, it is it's, it's so exciting because we are moving potentially towards a less cash society where cash is decreasing, but also everybody's moving towards cardless. I, I certainly don't carry my card on me much anymore. Um, so we might move to a society which is cardless, but not yet cashless. And the current UK infrastructure is not prepared for that shift. Using what we're doing and sort of share the decentralization of identity drives solutions in this, in this way. And also it helps uh, support a wide range of transactions. So not only can um, cash suppliers do just withdrawals, we can do deposits, bill payments, a lot more transactions in that single location. And what enables us to do that is again, driven by identity. We can do transaction risk monitoring. So any transaction that happens at a one bank site, we can monitor and owning that identity allows us to do that and allows us to do bank agnostic deposits, for example, which has never been done in the UK before, other than at the post office. Secondly is data. So we allow customers to share their bank account information with us, which allows them to have an aggregated view of all of their bank account transactions, history, uh, balances. And again, customers still go to a branch to view their balance. They still, do, they, they still go and want to speak to someone and have help to do that. So, by us driving a solution that allows them to very easily check their bank account balances, transactions, either at a one bank's kiosk or on their own mobile app, helps them engage with more digital solutions that are again, better for them. And then the second point with data is it allows customers to share their bank account information, again, helping us to facilitate seamless cash deposits and reduces the risk of manual error or fraud. And then the last point I've got here is again, an open banking related point whereby open banking within payment initiation service providers. It allows us to initiate payments. Currently, all of the payment infrastructure for withdrawals, it goes through Link and it goes through one standard set of withdrawing money. However, we've built a solution that sits on top of faster payments using open banking. And that allows us so much innovation when it comes to leveraging what's coming. There's a huge amount happening within the payment space, whether that's confirmation of PE or request to pay. There's, there's a lot that can continue to develop the user experience and change the way in which people interact with the banks that we can continue to leverage and change that and develop that experience. And I think by having a wide range of customer experiences, changing the way people interact with the bank, with cash, is again, a really good way of helping people move digital, a really good way of using digital solutions, innovation, but making it and scaling it right back to supporting analog customers 
and trying to address that problem that we've described before, which is the risk that they're going to be left behind, and trying to ensure that digital solutions are part of the answer. And from a bank's perspective, as I said, the banks have got a problem, and we are here to try and help the banks help their customers. And we do believe that the banks have got a unique opportunity leveraging this, leveraging cash um, to, and the sharing economy and shared infrastructure banking to embrace decentralized solutions in order to drive innovation and competition to help their customers access to cash, but also to move digital at the same time. So just to bring it back to sort of where we are as a company, OneBanks, as I said, we've been, going, we've been doing it for two and a half years now. We initially went live in Denny and two other, uh, two other sites. Um, we've recently gone live with, um, with a bank, which is being announced next week, which is very exciting and a paid pilot. And we're also launching self-service solutions within uh, Newcastle Building Society later this year. All of this has been against the backdrop of the industry working towards shared infrastructure. There's been lots of trials that have been happening. And recently, the industry has have, have, it's a landmark agreement whereby the eight biggest banks in the UK have agreed to support shared economy going forward within banking. So later this year, there'll be a rollout of um, solutions, uh, whether it's one banks, hopefully one banks will play a big part of it, but um, it, it'll enable single locations and um, customers can go to the single location and do their banking irrespective of who they bank with. So it's a great recognition that the banks have got that shared infrastructure is the way forward and they've committed to rolling it out. Again, this is against the backdrop of legislation. The government have played an important part in ensuring that banks cater for everybody. And as part of the latest financial services and markets bill, they have recently um, supported and have got a draft legislation to ensure that access to cash deposits and cash withdrawals is all across the UK in all of the cold spots. So that's our focus over the next few years is to be rolling out as many solutions as we can ranging from self-service all the way through to branch solutions, catered to exactly what the community needs. And we're so excited that the industry has moved with us and we're very proud to have helped pioneer what is fundamentally a significant shift in the industry. As we develop, we'll continue to add services. So whether that's people wanting to do checks, whether it's wanting you know, open bankings, moving towards open data and open finance. And that's really exciting because it helps potentially us to intermediate products, investments. Again, we're not a bank. But people come to branches for so many different reasons. I know my sister, for example, recently um, with her fiance, now husband, a few weeks ago, went to open a bank account, um, a joint account. She waited in a queue in a branch and um, she was told she had to do it online. And it was really disappointing because uh, she wanted she wanted that experience. And I think that's what we're trying to get to is if we can open bank accounts, for example, as well, we can develop the range of services that we provide the customers such that actually people want to come to the branch. Right now, it's the banks are almost being forced to roll out solutions. But over time, as I said, we want to build almost the Apple experience of banking, whereby people want to go to the branch to learn more about what the latest innovation is, whether that's CBDC, whether that's blockchain, whatever it is. Right now, it's open banking. Right now, it's payments. And that's what we're trying to democratize finance and make it available to everybody. Open banking is huge in the UK. The UK have been at the forefront of the development of open banking. However, it's gaining traction globally. And I know from a one bank's perspective, we get a huge amount of interest from Latin America, from Europe. Just to put it put into context, in Europe, there's five times more branches per person than there is in the UK. 
which means the problem we're facing right now in the UK is going to happen in Europe very soon as well, as 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 cash continues to diminish, as people don't go to branches as often and use online banking. There's a massive infrastructure problem, and driving shared infrastructure, leveraging open banking, is the answer. I think there's so much more that can be done with an open banking to make it more accessible, but it's developing and it continues to develop into the solution that I think can underpin cash globally to drive and help people move digital. And just to summarise, so I, as I said, going back to the beginning, this is about how digital banking can be used to support analog customers. And the future is digital. The future is physical and digital together. It's about combining digital solutions to help solve physical problems. It's about having people there as well to help, because trust is a huge issue. And having people there from local communities that people already know and trust really helps with that engagement. To put into context, 10% of one bank's customers, and 9% I think it is now, never had online banking before signing up to one bank's. So if we go back to that initial question I said at the beginning, that big bank in the UK, 30% before the pandemic never had online banking. Post-pandemic, it's still 30%. Compare that to one bank's. 10% of our customers never had online banking before signing up to one bank's. That is the digital conversion that society needs. And as we go forward, I think a shared economy, allowing people to access banking services without the need of cards or smartphones, supporting free access to cash and more sustainable solutions and providing customers with solutions and banking services, however, wherever and whenever they need it, is fundamental as we go forward. Thank you for listening and I'd love to answer any questions that you've got. Well, Duncan, that was a very compelling presentation and in fact, there are quite a few questions, so it will, we'll pile into it if we could. Um, I'm going to start off with with uh, one, just a quick answer, uh, but Ian Taylor opened up very, very early on with, to what extent do you believe the inability or unwillingness of bank branches to offer any meaningful service at all has actually been part of the problem? There never seems to be anything they can do, so closure becomes self-fulfilling. You know, are the banks uh, falsely driving people towards online, online, online? Um, yes. I, to a certain extent, yes, I think um, how I see a bank branch um, historically has been you go into a bank branch, however small, however big your problem is, and you expect to come out with your problem solved. Mm. And I think that is how, certainly how I see a bank branch uh, and what I, I think a bank branch should should be is you go in and you get your problem solved and you don't get sent to do it online because you should never feel forced to do something. Um, I do think that there is still, as going back to your original question, Michael, 80% of people have used a bank branch since the start of the pandemic. So there's still a big appetite for bank branches for in-person mm. experiences. And I think there is still a big opportunity for the banks to do more in the space to service customers. But fundamentally, it's not economically viable. As I said, it costs £590,000 a year. However, doing it on a shared infrastructure basis, a fraction of that cost, can hopefully help change the mindset whereby they think of it more more as an opportunity, a strategic tool rather than a cost. Um, so that's the shift that we're trying to make. Um, there's an interesting point. Dan Feeney opened up very early on what banking services can be done in these hubs. And I think to some degree, you actually answered a large chunk of his question, but it leads, I think, onto two things. I mean, none of us are as expert as you in this space. What transactions that we would normally think of as being a branch transaction, say 10 years ago, are you not able to do? 
or, and or what are what are some of the transactions that are on the borderline? You maybe don't have them in the kiosk at the moment, but you might in the future. I, right now, we're quite focused on access to cash, so we can do cash deposits, cash withdrawals, coins, notes, uh, bill payments, um, and we help people get signed up to online banking. Our product roadmap is huge, and it's so much um, so much opportunity for things that we can do going forward, which is both stuff that we can develop in house, the likes of product mm. intermediation, um, but we can also partner with the likes of Citizens Advice to actually bring in partners to help deliver some of the services. Ultimately, yeah. our, our product roadmap is driven both by the customers, the banks um, who pay for the service, but also consumers. And so the question, to what, that what, will not do? what will you not do that people would think was? Right now, what uh, people come in and they want to open bank accounts with Barclays, with Lloyds, we can't do that at the moment. So we need to work with the banks over the next few years to be able to enable that. Fundamentally, there's no service that we can't provide um, with the bank support. So over time, uh, with with the appropriate amount of bank support, we'll be able to provide all services that a customer would expect. However, we're still on the journey, and we still need to sort of engage and develop the service offering. Because as I said, right now the, the focus is on access to cash, and that's the that's the main. Dan, Dan had a supplementary question, which is a good one here. Do, do you offer digital skills learning on site? Yeah, yeah. So actually, one of the yeah, so actually our kiosk team members, um, I say kiosk team members, they're actually digital educators and we hire them to be digital educators and that's really fundamental to their role in the community. It's not just helping um, with doing transactions, but it's also that educational piece. Um, so we hire a lot of us uh, team members, uh, digital educators used to work in a bank. We've also been working closely with the banks and got some of their um, online banking tools and um, education leaflets to actually help us help their customers mm. okay uh, back in 2000 uh, there was something called the Crookshank review which had a very serious look at the banking sector and one of the problems they were looking at is why was it so concentrated uh, in the UK and leaving aside issues of uh, centralization and consolidation and government policy and lack of enforcement of competition law and a few other things. Nevertheless, one of the other problems was that even after a customer had been terrible service, they'd been you know, made bankrupt because the bank had gotten its accounts wrong or they had been overseas and thrown into a Turkish jail for using a credit card that wasn't working, they would then finally decide to change their bank. And 80% of them made their decision on what was the closest branch to them, so you circled around the same uh, large four branch networks. Now, Mark Duff says here, banking is based on trust. If you have a branch, the customer can go to the branch and get access to the cash. So the reason for the lack of support uh, for electronic banking is the electronic bank will stop trading if you know cloud-based banking, say you know Amazon Web Services, stops working. So that might be one issue. And I'd like to tack on to that a, a comment, if I could. Uh, from Tanji Morgan. Tanji, uh, who knows banking extremely well, uh, says that there's an assumption in, in your talk that the internet infrastructure is stable and available to everyone to use digital banking. Uh, she prefers in-person options as using, using these annoying chat boxes or long wait periods to ultimately get lackluster call center employees. Uh, it is a problem. So very interested in your model. But last, the now regular outages of bank apps is something that needs to be considered. So I guess this is a question really about uh, internet and system stability. It's quite a fundamental question. Um, I mean, open banking, um, 
open banking uses modern technology. It's, it doesn't leverage a lot of the legacy technology that banks have. So sometimes about how to just within the banks, it doesn't impact open banking. That said, open banking is not perfect. And there are still some hiccups within some of the banks within open banking that create outages. And it, but it is, as I said, using the latest technology and is a lot more, I think, sustainable. And um, it doesn't have quite as many issues potentially going forward. And um, certainly from one bank's perspective, our technology is all hosted on the cloud. Um, and that is different to most other independent ATM deployers. Most other independent ATM deployers have the technology bubbled up in the cloud. So you can't change the code or anything like that. Whereas the way in which we deploy it is actually using an iPad and using a cash box. So the iPad is the interface. And that's really important when it comes to being able to make changes on a regular basis to be able to diagnose anything. If there is a problem, we can really quickly work out what it is and change it. Um, and also from an accessibility perspective, using an iPad, you can deploy it on a big screen, a small screen, you can zoom in, it's wheelchair accessible. There's a lot of benefits in that setup as well. Uh, going back to another point, Michael, I, I find it fascinating uh, what you said about how, uh, um, what was it, 80% of customers um, don't change their bank. Oh, 80% of choose the bank based on where the newest branch is. is the opportunity that there is in in-person banking. Certainly yeah. from my perspective, I'm I'm with RBS. The reason I'm with RBS is because it's at the bottom of the road. I still think a lot of people think like that. And that's why I'm hoping that one banks does become more of a strategic opportunity for the banks over time. Well, oddly, I'm with RBS uh, since the late 80s and I had never been to my branch ever. Uh, even since then, not even to set up the account, and the branch has since closed. That said, I have used other RBS branches, but uh, I'm, I'm certainly out there. Now, we've got a lot of support here, um, and I, I, I want to touch on the support, but then I want to turn to something else. So, uh, Charles Somerin, you know, says that if only 20% are online, this is a digital culture challenge, um, and he agrees open banking is part of the future, but the industry is not moving. Uh, Charlotte Dauber Ashley was at this curious, you know, have banks been supportive as has there been pit pushback? Um, I think probably I'm, I'm going to give Dan the floor on this one. Dan is curious, you know, which of the uh, CMA9, so these are the nine banks participating in open banking, uh, the larger ones in the UK, has been most receptive to your platform? Um, we've been working very closely with actually all of the banks. Um, Obviously, it was mandated for the CMA9 banks, but there's far more banks out with the CMA9 that have, um, that have engaged uh, with open banking. And obviously, we, we facilitate more like the neo banks as well, the likes of Monzo, Revolut, Tide, etc. At, at our kiosks um, at the moment. Um, who've engaged the most? I'd say all of the banks that have participated within the community's access to cash pilots. So when we started, there was an industry-wide pilot that, that was um, I think it was this six or seven biggest banks and um, they came together and they funded pilots in different communities. We were a startup at the time, so we weren't one of the funded pilots and it was actually more focused on incumbent solutions and um, the bigger players. However, that that helped us get recognized in, in, in the whole industry um, and certainly they have been the most receptive. But going back to your earlier point, it has been very slow moving. Um, we're a startup, we're trying to run, we're keen to run and try and get as many up and running as quickly as possible. But we have been sort of subject to waiting for the pilots to come to a close, waiting for the industry to commit to rolling out shared banking, waiting for the legislation to be announced, which was promised a few years ago. Um, so it has taken longer than we want, but we are excited about the, the two years ahead because we are in a position now where the industry, the, the, eight, the eight or nine biggest banks have committed to rolling out shared banking. Um, 
yeah, so I'd say a lot, a lot, most of the banks have been very supportive. There's one bank in particular um, who we're going live with um, that will be announced on Monday, so keep your eyes posted on that. And that's actually on a white label basis. Um, so that's us providing technology, cash deposit, cash withdrawal functionality within their existing pop-up site uh, to enable their customers only to do transactions. So that's another good use case of, of what we've built. Okay. Well, Dean Nicholson compliments you. Great use case, very clever solution to an old problem with the new technology. Uh, he's curious, so what do you do about fully legacy customers who walk in so they, they don't have digital access to their underlying bank? You know, how do I get onto these yeah. banking rails? Uh, I don't have a Basically, mobile number, perhaps, or I don't have a user password or manual sign-on, or uh, I have absolutely... Yeah. It's a fantastic question, and it's actually something that um, uh, us as a business, our mission is to help solve, help try and drive financial inclusion. Our solution on day one isn't perfect. I recognise that. However, over the last year and a half, we've developed it for like, a huge amount. So when we went we live, customers needed online banking to use our service. Right now, customers, you can do deposits, you can do bill payments without online banking. Um, and we're literally one month away of introducing card-based withdrawals as well over the counter. So that's been a huge focus of ours, is to make it more and more accessible over time. Um, we are promoting people to move digital, but we do recognise that there's still people who can't and won't move digital, and we still need to cater for their needs. And that's what we've spent quite a lot of time over the last, um, uh, over the last year implementing, um, and we'll continue to do that. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm curious on this one. So, you know, marketing theory says you, know, you should never really let anybody get in between you and your customer. Um, so we've got one bank, so we've got a very strong logo here. Nick Bush says kiosk banking isn't new. Banks have had tiny mobile branches for years. What's prevented them from adopting a similar solution? Um, I would argue from what I've seen here, they consider this to be a minor area or they underrate it. Yeah and they're prepared to outsource it to you on the understanding that it's going to be a joint outsourcing, uh, a bit like Link in a way. Um, they yeah, thought absolutely. it was that issue, so we'll give it to Link and we'll keep Link under control uh, because yeah. we don't want to get out of it, but as long as we're all doing the same thing, uh, that's there. So if you do you agree with that model? And if so, then I move on to another question. Yeah, just quickly, why hasn't it been done before? The banks have tried to do this sort of thing before. There was a shared business banking hub um, Three of the banks, Barclays, NatWest, and Lloyds, came together to try and do a business banking hub. Fundamentally, trying to get the banks to work together is now impossible. And we would never have been able to get to where we are today if we were having to try and collaborate with the banks. And the only reason we've been able to get to where we are is through open banking and building it and proving it works and then trying to engage the banks. Um, so that, that the, the open banking and the opportunity that's given us to, to prove it works has it, been fundamental. Um, uh, yeah, yeah I must and also the fact that this, this on your side. I was on the Open Banking Committee when it started and it, it didn't do what it was supposed to do, which was actually to give the consumers the right to their own data. Personally, I think you would be the one <laughs> the one positive output from open banking that I've seen. I, that's a personal view. Um, are you regulated, John? Uh, sorry, Hugh Person would like to know, are you regulated by the financial authorities? Yes, we're regulated by the FCA um, for the open banking um, AISP, PISP and money remittance and we work very closely with a company called Centennial Newpay um, so we're an agent of them um, so we've got a joint model where we work in partnership. And he was also curious about regulation or data security uh, issues especially in the context of banking secrecy laws. 
all of that's been built into the open banking. So for us to be regulated within open banking, um, all of the data security is 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 quite standardised in terms of what third party providers need to need to comply with. Mm -hmm. um, so yes, that's been a big important part, and security resilience is fundamental to to what we do because ultimately it is uh, we are looking to provide a critical banking service to society. Uh, Mark Cook is asking, you know, do clients create a one bank's uh, profile or ID, or do you, or do you assist access to their digital bank profile? I mean, I again, me, I would suggest I would put a limit on you. I say no, you, you know, this is a Barclays customer using your service. This is a NatWest customer using. That, your service. It's a great question. Um, we have to onboard the customer ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty big question that the, a lot of open banking companies have been pushing the FCA on um, because. Ultimately, as you say, these customers have already got a bank. We are helping facilitate the bank customers do transactions. However, from a regulatory perspective, we are facilitating a lot of customers in one single location, and therefore we have to do transaction risk monitoring. So we onboard customers, we do PEPs, uh, sanctions checks, we create a risk profile. Uh, when you do transactions, we do transaction risk monitoring, and we've got different rules set up on our system, whether it's volume, value, structuring um, to try and spot money laundering. I think um, it is important to note that everybody in the supply chain has the money laundering responsibilities. And yeah, as part of the payment service directive, one banks as a payment payment company does need to onboard customers. Um, but okay. I do recognize the point that a lot of customers have already done this with the bank and there might potentially be something in the future whereby we can leverage the bank's identity. But that comes back to the earlier point around identity and the fact that in the UK there's no digital identity, so we're we're not able currently to leverage the identity of the bank. So I do see it as a bit of a challenge, but or, or an opportunity as well to change the way in which we 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 authenticate customers and people interact. Great. Uh, I'm going to try and squeeze in two very fast questions. Uh, John Spain uh, believes you should be rolling this out in areas where bank branches have already been closed. They should be the priority. Do you agree? I agree completely. That's that's the plan, and so hopefully those communities will be reaching out to link to request support, and subsequently there'll be a review done, and then fingers crossed it'll be one bank's coming there soon. <laughs> and then Jonathan, real quickly, any reaction from the younger age demographics, uh, particularly in the in the pilot that was conducted? Um, yeah, we there's, funnily enough, there's quite a lot of younger people who are just quite fascinated. A lot of them. Um, a lot of people still use cash for budgeting reasons. I know when I was a kid, I did that. So a lot of children still come above above 18 and still come to withdraw money using the Monzo account. Um, because, as I said, we are moving towards a cardless society and people carry around their phone. A lot of millennials just carry around their phone, but sometimes need cash in Denny for winning Lock Ellie. The pub next door to the, the co-op in Denny is cash only. So if I'm I'm a teenager, I'll only have my phone, but I still need to pay in cash. So one bank is perfect for millennials as well. Yeah, yeah. My barber shop, which I went to yesterday, only takes cash, and this is what happens when I don't pay. Anyway, <laughs> no, it's, it's been it's been really good. A final a final point. Uh, Charles Sommerin uh, actually makes an, an excellent point that uh, in a lot of other climates where there were no branches in the first place, the mobiles become ubiquitous. You know, the mother of necessity, uh, really. Here, the challenge with open banking is we're trying to get customers to change their behaviors to make the shift. And we've got this, as the French would say, no, you dure, the hard nut of, of, of a remainder, one might argue. But I think you've made a compelling point, Duncan, that uh, I think it was your mantra there that the you know, access to digital and access to cash 
issues need to be solved in tandem, otherwise one will be solved to the detriment of the other, and certainly to society's detriment, uh, because we leave behind the poor and the disadvantaged, and that's what we opened with SDG 10. Anyway, I have uh, three quick thanks to give, firstly, to the sponsors before you. I can't imagine any of them not interested in this space, um, and especially the fact that you're bridging a, a very, very important divide. Uh, secondly, I would like to thank the audience. It's been particularly vibrant. All of your comments and questions, as I said, will, will be sent to Duncan. Um, and if you wish to have a look ahead on what's, a, what's coming up, simply go and look on the website. We do have quite a full uh, program, even over August. Um, so do have a look there. But my thanks uh, mostly to you, Duncan, uh, for breaking what you claim was actually work in Spain, but uh, I'll believe <laughs> you, uh, to come and talk to us today and present. And unfortunately, our technology uh, still relies on the analog applause. So here's my analog applause meter, my Korean karmic clapper. Thank you very much uh, for coming on board. And we look forward to great things to come. Thank you, Michael.